What are my options for pursuing a non-clinical career? What opportunities are there depending on my skill set? How do I get started? Learn the answers to these questions and many more on this episode of the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew. Welcome back to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. For my returning listeners, thank you so much. For my new listeners, welcome. Because today, like on every episode, I'm bringing you the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues relating to the early career physician. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from MR Insurance, a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael L. Ralvus is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians. We know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance or contact him at 1-800-817-4522. Today, I'm reusing a live stream that was done a few months ago with Dr. John Jerica, and we're going to talk about non-clinical careers. Dr. John Jerica is a board-certified family physician who began doing non-clinical side jobs early in his career as a utilization management physician advisor and occupational medicine medical director. He then transitioned to hospital administration, first as VP for medical affairs, and then as chief medical officer. He completed a master's degree in public health while in practice and certification as a physician executive through the American Association for Physician Leadership. He left his CMO position to partner in an urgent care startup in 2014, where he continues to serve as part-time medical director for his three clinics. In 2017, John started producing the weekly Physician Non-Clinical Careers podcast, where he has presented interviews with dozens of physician entrepreneurs, medical directors, hospital executives, managers, coaches, and other experts in physician career transition. He is the administrator for a Facebook group with over 15,000 physician members called Physician Non-Clinical Career Hunters, and he created the Non-Clinical Career Academy, an online membership site with video courses designed to help physicians accelerate their career pivots. Well, let's bring John onto the show. All right. So now we're going to get started. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Andrew Tisser. Um, I'm an emergency physician, host of the Talk To Me Doc podcast, and a career strategist for early to mid-career physicians who are dissatisfied with their current situation and want to make a change. And I have the honor of being on here with uh, one of my heroes, Dr. John Jerica. Uh, John, if you want to introduce yourself. Oh, maybe. Okay, I will. Let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm John Jerica. I'm a family physician. Um, I guess I'm best known maybe as a podcaster. I've been doing the Physician Non-Clinical Careers podcast for three years. I have about 165 episodes or so, and they're all about non-clinical careers pretty much. And I'm also one of the admins for a Facebook group, which is pretty large. I think it has 15,000 members now. It's a called the Physician Non-Clinical Career Hunters Facebook group. So if you're interested in talking and chatting with others in the group about non-clinical careers, you can go there. We don't allow any promotion in there at all. So I'm not in there selling anything, just inviting people like Andrew and others to come in and share different things and stimulate conversation. And uh, I think that's basically it. I have some other things that I do that we may get into, but um, that's who I am. And I've been uh, 
really excited to come on. Actually, my big claim to fame is I think I was Andrew's second guest on his podcast. <laughs> yes. You that were... was the high point of my year. I bet. I'm sure that coming on my new podcast was your high point. Well, John, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. But so you're here to talk about non-clinical careers. That's that's your expertise. And um, I think really the first question that comes to mind is why even pursue a non-clinical career? I mean, we've we've spent all this time training to be doctors and, you know, we're perhaps some things are we got some issues in the medical field right now. But why should we even think about it? <laughs> um, I'm going to be really some dark humor here. It's better than blowing your brains out. Um, and I, I mean that jokingly, obviously, but actually the main reason that people get interested in non-clinical careers to some extent is just burnout. And, uh, but there are a lot of people that just want to get into non-clinical careers because they're interesting and different and they're bored or they're whatever. But the thing is, we don't know that much about non-clinical careers, most of us, because we've gone through our training and it's really never brought up. And the reality is there are thousands of jobs and hundreds of fields that only physicians can do that have been trained in med school and residency and so forth. So it would probably be a little unusual for someone like you and me to go into, let's say, college or med school thinking, well, I ultimately want to be the CEO of an insurance company, so I think I'll go to med school. I mean, we just don't think that way. So I think physicians are fantastic. They're great. I consider them to be part of my family, my tribe. We have this shared education and training. And um, so I think we should be happy. And so if we're unhappy or we just have interests that aren't met by practicing medicine, then we should look at non-clinical jobs because there's a big demand for people to get into that. I agree. And I think your point is even understated there. If you could think of it, it's probably out there. And if you can't think of it, it's probably right. out there, right? There, uh, I've said before that the MD or DO degree is the most versatile degree that there is out there just for the amount of things, the amount of doors it opens for you. Um, so it brings me to the next question or, you know, of course, there's millions of different things you can do, but what are some of the big avenues that you see people pursuing in the non-clinical world? Well, there's different ways we can kind of parse that and break it down. Um, if I take it from the standpoint of where the most jobs are, there's a lot of opportunities and I'll just go real high level right now. So first of all, in hospital and health systems, there are thousands of jobs. Hospitals have physician advisors, medical directors, BPMAs, chief medical officers, chief medical information officers, and I can go on and on. And if you want to get into details, we'll do that. But that's the whole hospital and health system. I usually put that one first because, number one, that's the thing I have the most experience in. I was a chief medical officer and senior VP for a hospital. Number two, it's the biggest piece of the healthcare system. So when a physician moves into a non-clinical job, I think most of the time what I encourage is do something related to medicine or healthcare. I mean, you can go open a hot dog stand or become a salesperson <laughs> for something, but why not build on what we already know? Well, the biggest chunk of that pie is the money spent on hospitals and health systems and sort of their ancillary services. Second big one, probably, is, I don't know for sure, but pharma, medical device, and you can throw in other things, but massive part of the healthcare system, thousands of jobs for physicians and pharma, everything from clinical research itself to sales to MSLs, which we can talk about. And then there's the whole insurance and payment part of, um, outside of medicine, you know, non-clinical careers, because we know that healthcare has to be paid for. 
And whether you look at it from the standpoint of jobs related to Medicare directly or all the jobs in the insurance industries around healthcare from utilization management, that's probably one of the most popular first non-clinical careers getting into UM, case management, that kind of thing. And then there's tons of jobs in medical writing. There's tons of jobs in consulting, both as a freelance or for a large international or national consulting firm, because they all have healthcare departments and teaching and et cetera, et cetera. Um, a big one lately I just don't want to not mention is coaching. Physicians are really getting into coaching because it's got all the good parts of physician you know, relationships and so forth without any of the bad parts. Um, but those are the big ones. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, we could go on and on, but I think, uh, it's important to talk about, you know, being involved in the hospital system itself, because a lot of physicians, A, aren't interested and B, don't even know how to get involved. You know, we, we, we complain all the time that, uh, well, it's the, the MBAs and the nurses, they're the leaders here and they make all these policies. But the truth of the matter is, uh, you could get involved if you wanted to. Um, and just a brief example, I know when I started my recent job, I made an appointment with the CEO and the CMO and said, hey, I have interest. Um, how could I get involved? And uh, that quickly led to a, a medical director opportunity and, you know, not just like go do these committees for free for years. And that's what it that's all it is. But um, yeah. if you are interested in hospital administration, I know many are not. But <laughs> if you are, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in my experience. Oh no, there's, there's, it, we, it's kind of invisible. You know, we don't look, we don't see those people that are doing those things, but every service line has a medical director. Every unit almost has a medical director. It doesn't mean they're getting a lot of management activities, but it's a, it's a toe in the water and some, there's a lot. And then, you know, you got the CMO, which is the most visible of the chief medical officer, which is really kind of over all those medical affairs type activities but if you look around, you'll see the besides that, the CMIO, which is informatics, you've got people doing chief integration officer, chief quality officer, so on and so forth. And those are extremely high paying jobs, by the way, a lot of benefits. And you're really making this huge impact, not only on your peers, but on your patients as a group, on the community. I mean, in my town, the hospitals are the number one employers. They're the biggest employers. And so when I was on that team, I was impacting literally thousands and I could demonstrate improvements in quality and patient safety. So it's very rewarding too, if you kind of just start thinking about how you can apply your skills as a physician to those kinds of positions. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, I, some people will be like, well, let's go into the dark side or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely, I see it as increased reach and increased ability to impact more people. Um, so let's talk about money for a second. You know, you brought up that, that those are high paying jobs with good benefits. I think a lot of people worry about pursuing a non-clinical opportunity that they're going to have to take a drastic change in their lifestyle. And, um, you know, what do you think about all that? What is that true or? Well, I'm it sure can it be, and, uh, <laughs> and you probably tell your, you know, if when you're doing some coaching and that, and I've heard this from other coaches, like, don't do what I did from them, meaning they actually like just dropped out and started over. Um, but, you know, have a plan. And really, ideally, if, if you're going to make a change, you do a lot of research, you put some money aside, you make sure you're financially stable and can take maybe a short hit if there is a hit. But there are a lot of careers where there really is little or no hit and the upside is good. Um, I mean, if you're a million dollar, you know, cardiovascular surgeon or 
whatever, you're not going to get a million dollars doing one of the jobs I'm talking about, at least not initially. Um, but as far as being equivalent to a clinical job, particularly if you take the some things into consideration like zero risk of being sued, almost zero risk of being sued. Um, number two, essentially no call in most of these jobs. I mean, so think of the lifestyle involved, but if you look at it, you're going to most, even the, even the ones that don't require any special sort of prep are usually going to pay anywhere from 150 to 250 right off the bat. So there might be a little bit of a dip, but see, then as you, over time, you're going to take leadership and you're going to move into positions, even in, let's say a UM company, insurance company or something and get, you know, improvements in that. And they usually have, you know, better pensions and profit sharing, all that kind of thing too. Yeah, that's the thing too, is that generally physician salaries are pretty stagnant. Whereas uh, when you work into some of these other companies, there's a lot of vertical growth. So uh, that's something to consider. Uh, you know, what? how do you approach uh, the search? Like um, someone's like, I, I'm, I've had it. I can't do clinical medicine anymore. I, I want to pursue an unclinical career, which, you know, we see on your group and other groups all the time. Like, how do I get out? What do I do? I'll do anything. And, you know, I definitely don't recommend just saying I'll do anything just to get out. You know, I'm, I'm of the mind to be running towards something rather than away. Mm -hmm. uh, but how do you get started? You know, I, I don't know what I want to do. Um, there's a million options. How, how do I learn? You know, how do I get started? What do you say to those people? So um, I, I tell them to, number one, just kind of take a deep breath and um, really, you know, do some introspection. Think about what do they consider a good day? for them, whether it's doing something clinical or non-clinical, or even going back, what are the things you like to do in the past when you were an undergrad and if you went to grad school or even while you're in med school, what other interests do you have? Are you an introvert, extrovert? I mean, you can actually go ahead and get some personality testing, although it doesn't really help you pick a particular job per se, but at least gives you some insight into what you're really looking for. Maybe even write some things down, like how would your ideal day or week look like uh, you know, uh, a year from now or five years from now. But the thing is, you don't really know what's out there. So the next the big piece of the beginning part is just getting to know what's out there. There's a lot more resources out there now to find out than there were five or 10 years ago, even. So you've got the Facebook groups and you have other Facebook groups besides what I'm talking about that are talking about side gigs, they're talking about uh, remote jobs, they're talking about, you know, you name it. And uh, I think, Andrew, you have a Facebook group where you, you guys talk about things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more targeted towards the, the early career doc, but we talk about those things as well. And hi there to Gerald for joining us. But yeah, I mean, I agree, John. I think you just got to expose yourself to what's out there. And, you know, you don't have to take the leap to 100% non-clinical right at, right at the beginning right. either. You could dip your toe in the water, which I think a lot of people don't really know about. They think it's all or nothing. Well, yeah, it depends on what you get into. Um, there are some like standard approaches that I also talk about, um, whether it's in the podcast or what have you, in terms of things you can do. First, you just have to kind of get exposed. And there are books written about non-clinical careers. There's actually several out, one by Sylvie Stacy, one by Heidi Moad. Uh, there's others out there that give you sort of an overview. It's kind of hard to learn, you know, about those jobs directly from a book. It's it's almost like an academic exercise. And you can go online and look at different blogs and podcasts. Um, I would, if you have it anywhere narrowed down whatsoever, like, well, I want to, I really would want to do something more in the pharma or medical device, not necessarily in the hospital. Find a mentor for each one. So that's one thing. Start your LinkedIn profile and actually start connecting with people on LinkedIn. And so there's other things you can do. Get your resume, start looking at that. 
and you can start to prep for it, but the, you, you won't be able to fully prep until you have a really good understanding of what field you want to get into. Um, I, you don't mind if I plug somebody else's website, do you, Andrew? No, please do. Okay, if you go to Sylvie Stacy's Look for Zebras, she has a quiz. She calls it a quiz on there. You answer 50 questions, and at the end, you get one suggestion of what your ideal non-clinical career should be. Cool. Now, don't... <laughs> Don't necessarily take that, but it kind of, as you're going through the questions, it makes you think, and then she throws something out there at the end, which kind of aligns based on her experiences, and it's free. Um, and um, it makes you think, though, you go, well, maybe I should at least start there and then see what other things are related to that. Yeah, and I think, you know, using all your resources, like I, I'll plug you, John, for a second, though. I mean, you've been doing your podcast for a long time, um, and you've covered so many different careers, and it's nice to hear like a day in the life and, and what everyone else is doing. Um, also, I don't think LinkedIn could be overstated. I mean, LinkedIn is the place, right? That's, mm. um, and I feel like a lot of doctors aren't that comfortable with LinkedIn, um, more so than we used to see. But I think, uh, you know, as far as like the social media world, because it's business right. related. Um, but everybody knows why you're on LinkedIn. Like your people are yeah. on LinkedIn for business, which is, which is nice. So um, how do you know, how do you do you have any tips for uh, how to optimize or maybe how to get started with LinkedIn? Well, basically, if you're going to be on LinkedIn, first, you have to put aside this issue of, well, I really don't want to be on social media. I mean, this is basically an online resume. So if you want to be employed or look for someone else, you go to LinkedIn as a starting point. And there's no sense even doing that unless you're willing to go ahead and put a complete profile up there. So really, at the beginning, it's hard because you don't really know what you want to highlight. But, you know, LinkedIn, you've, you've got to have a photo. You've got to have like a personal statement at the beginning. It could just be what you're doing now, but it, later on you put keywords in there about what you're interested in doing and what background you have that might attract, you know, jobs in that. And you can be found on LinkedIn without even going to their job board, which is another whole section of LinkedIn where you can look for jobs. Um, but it, it, LinkedIn will actually walk you through the steps. You, you know, you put a complete educational background history in there. You put your complete work history in there you know, and you just follow it and they tell you like three, four or five stars, how complete it is. So it's, it's pretty easy. I do have a, a video on my, my academy on, on this, but basically it was just me going in and filling things out. And it's, it's just a screenshot of, of me doing that, but it's pretty straightforward if you just follow the, what, what LinkedIn tells you. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, just you will get a steady stream of financial advisors trying to message you. Just uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> try to yeah. ignore them unless you really need that. Um, yeah. yeah, LinkedIn's a great option. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about a lot is um, is UM or utilization management or review because I feel like a lot of people um, are just see that as like work from home. It's easy. It's fairly good money. I should just do that. Um, and, you know, I do some on the side. I enjoy it. I think it's fulfilling work. But if I did that full time, I, I certainly could not um, just based yeah. on my personality. But I think uh, people see it as like, oh, I got to get into UM because that's the, the easiest thing to do. Uh, you know, do you have like, do you suggest starting there or at least exploring opportunities in UM or do you really uh, or is that really personalized as well? Well, you have to have like the right personality and you have to have the right frame of mind. Like I did UM as a physician advisor in a hospital for a few years. And really the way we looked at it there was, you know, we're going to just, you know, 
irritate the doctors and try to get their patients out of the hospital and tell them they couldn't do things. But you shouldn't really look at it that way. You should really look at it like you're trying to educate the physicians about what they need to document and to justify the tests they're trying to get. This is usually for the, you know, the outpatient remote jobs. There's actually like three positions in UM. I mean, you can do it in a hospital or health system. So that's, that's where it actually started. Then you can work for one of these independent review organizations or one of these other third party, probably what you're doing, Andrew, mm -hmm. sort of part-time uh, remote reviews. And then you can work directly for an insurance company. Uh, but the people, my guests have loved it. The ones that did it for several years. I mean, they, I will say that it seems like because the barrier to entry is low, because pretty much any specialty can do it, even though they tell you they might want an internist, they might want an OB or something. The reality is they train you and you you pretty much, depending on the company, anyone has the skills to do it, unless you have no license and never went to a residency or something, because you, you need to have some clinical background beyond medical school. And I will say that it's the number one topic in the Facebook group. I don't know. You may have noticed that, Andrew, when you popped in there. <laughs> it just comes up all the time because it is a low barrier to entry. Yeah, and it is, and it is a nice, a uh, little nice side income stream. And if uh, for the lower paying specialties, full time UM could be a really big raise on and a big increase in their lifestyle as well. Um, you know, you don't mind if I interject here talking about doing something part time? How about expert witness? That'll pay mm -hmm. you like four or five times your your hourly salary. And uh, if you have the stomach or the personality for it, I mean, I actually would like it. If I had a chance, I'd go back and do expert witness. You know, I had to be deposed several times for different reasons. I had no problem being deposed, interacting with, with attorneys. And you could work for an attorney who's defending physicians. So that would be even better. So that's a, that's a part-time one that pays really well. Yeah, well, that's true. I, you know, I've dabbled myself and, you know, it's, um, I think that's really interesting. It also, I feel like it helps me clinically with my documentation too, just seeing, you know, what they're looking for. Cause I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you go through a deposition yeah. and they, you know, what, what oh, yeah. does this eosinophil <laughs> count mean in regard, you know, like the nickel and dime, everything, yeah. but it's interesting work and very lucrative. <laughs> I think your documentation really gets better when you do a few of those yeah. depositions. Okay. Now I know why I needed to, to do that. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so there's, I think I'm trying to think of the other ones that besides UM as being the kind of low barriers and most common, I mean, any remote job, sometimes there's chart reviews that aren't really UM reviews. There's, you know, you can do chart reviews even on the expert witness side, never have to do a deposition. Um, and I don't know, the other ones that are pretty low barrier would be like medical writing. But the thing is, they it takes a while to build up enough pay to significantly cut back clinically to make that work. But it's a very popular option. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, back to the LinkedIn discussion is, you know, once LinkedIn is, help, is not very helpful if you're just like, I'm going to put up a profile and then... I'm going to get a job. You know, um, I think if you have a targeted interest and you can target companies and or individuals that are doing the things you want to do um, and have a bit of a strategy, you know, I've had, I found lots of great opportunities on LinkedIn and really just like a lot of really cool people. Um, but you have to have an idea going in of what you're looking for. So I think that's uh, a really a good place to start. Yeah. If you can just get that first idea, well, I want to maybe look at UM or maybe I want to look at, uh, I don't know, CDI, clinical documentation improvement. And then you connect with those people and just ask them questions. People on LinkedIn, oddly, once they connect with you, they usually will answer your questions. You'd find someone who's been in one of those fields for a few years and say, what's it like? What do you think are, 
where, where should I go to learn how to do, you know, learn that skill. And, you know, it's, it's a great place to learn. I, I've been surprised by how many people not only have reached out to me, but have just offered free advice when I've asked for it. And actually I lurk on there quite often to find guests <laughs> for my podcast. So, you know, and they just say yes. So what the heck? Oh, that's a fun thing about podcasts, right? It's a low, uh, low barrier to entry as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think people also like not only just people that work at a company, but executives and, you know, higher mm -hmm. ups that you, you know, messaging people. I like your company. I like what you're doing. You know, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. People are usually more than willing to be to talk to you. And that's a great way to get things started. And hello, Narissa, and welcome for welcome to joining. I'm glad you're liking our discussion. Who is that? Let's see. That oh, was... Marissa, hi. One of my recent guests. Yeah. So good to see you. Uh, I was going to say something, but I had a guest once who was really interested in becoming an MSL. And he was really mm. thinking, how am I going to get into this? A medical science liaison. It's a farmer job. It's kind of an entry level farmer job. Speaking of Narissa, she's an, ex an expert on pharma and med medical device companies. But anyway, um, and so he joined the MSL Society. And he, he ended up getting the CEO of the MSL Society or the president as being his mentor. Wow. So LinkedIn, <laughs> just reached out to him. Hey, really interested. He ended up mentoring the guy for several months, if not years. And he ended up getting a medical monitor job, though. He, in the process of pursuing the MSL, he got linked up with some other people in pharma, which is the other one of the other pharma jobs, medical monitor. And he got his job. He loves it. It's fantastic. And he had... He was someone who had uh, residency only, no clinical, never licensed. And those wow. are two jobs that sometimes you can manage to get if you don't have a license or oh, cool. residency. Yeah. Hey, he had a little bit of uh, yeah. research background. A little bit. Of, yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. Hi, Kayla. Yeah. Welcome for welcome to the, the live here. Um, yeah, Hi. I think, uh, can we talk about the pharmaceutical industry a little bit here? I think when people think that they're going to give up their clinical career, they just think about pharma on the side. And then it's also this like nebulous dark cloud of, of <laughs> the enemy uh, for whatever reason. So what kind of opportunities are available in pharmaceuticals and, and uh, how would you approach some of that? Well, let's see. I, I, I've looked into pharma. I've had a couple of guests actually. Uh, I think Nerissa's mm -hmm. one and she, I think hers is this week or, and I have another one coming next week. But so here's what I know that, in, in pharma, it's kind of broken up into major parts of the industry. So when we think about research, you know, uh, drug research, that's the clinical development piece. And so to get into that, whether it's an entry level or as a, you know, running a study or what have you, I mean, you have to have some background um, in, in research or, you know, uh, doing investigations as at least as a participant, maybe, maybe doing some things when you were in med school or, or after med school. Um, but that's not what most people think of when they think about going to pharma from a clinical job, maybe been a family doctor, internist, ER, whatever. Uh, there's usually the other section. So that would usually be something more in what they call medical affairs. So medical affairs, the way I think of it, uh, is that once there, a study has been done and the drug is approved, they're really helping to get that drug out there. Um, they're the ones that, um, I think they also interact with the uh, the safety group. There's a whole group called Safety and Pharmacovigilance, which is tracking the safety and of the drugs while they're under being studied and after they've been released. Um, 
and then there's a whole regulatory section. Most of the people that I talk to are either trying to become an MSL, which is a medical science liaison, who, again, I believe works in the medical affairs division of most pharmaceutical companies, and they're sharing the information about the drugs or the therapeutic classes with physicians. So it involves a lot of travel, but they get to work with what they call key opinion leaders and influencers, and they take information to them. Now it sounds kind of salesy, but there's zero sales involved. It's all education. They also take information back from the physicians to the company. And then they also interact you know, within the company with other parts of the team on, uh, on the medical affairs team, if I remember correctly. And then the medical monitor, when there are studies going on, um, I guess those would be mostly phase three studies where you have investigators out in the field, you know, recruiting patients and so forth. The medical monitor kind of tracks whether all the, you know, I's are dotted and T's are crossed and the investigators are doing what they're supposed to do and tracking the patients appropriately and sharing information and so forth. And then they also help, I think, the safety and pharmacovigilance identify when there might be an issue. Uh, so those are kind of how I look at it in, in, in the big picture. You can sometimes go directly from clinical to, let's say, medical affairs as a medical director. Uh, you can also go directly from clinical to, uh, I've known people have gone to the safety and pharmacovigilance side. Uh, they might have certain requirements that be best just to kind of go through LinkedIn and look at some of the uh, job listings there to see what they require. But if you've had involvement on an IRB institutional review board, or you've been involved somehow either directly or indirectly with studies and understand you know, the FDA regulations and other things, you might have the opportunity to, to make that switch fairly easily, depending on where you're looking. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Great information, John. Yeah. The, uh, again, yeah, I think LinkedIn's a great place to at least link up with people, learn more. I, for the MSLs that I have interacted with have been more than willing to chat about what they do and explain how they're not pharma reps. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I there are some want to make that distinction. Oh, it is. It's a big distinction. I've talked to some that said that they don't, they're not even allowed to interact with anyone else in the sales department. Now others, sometimes the MSL will actually teach some of the salespeople if they have questions about the drugs. But I mean, I've heard of some that say, no, it's so separate. They just don't want to get into that issue of being accused by the FDA of, you know, crossing that. Fair enough. Um, the, I have a couple questions that were submitted to me before this that I wanted to just make sure we got to before we kind of open it up to everybody. Um, so one question was, how do you express to your clinical leadership that though you signed on for a clinical role, your recent non-clinical experience is turning out to be what you really want to do? So it sounds like someone wants to stay with their organization, but Signed, signed up for a clinical job, but wants to really kind of transition towards the non-clinical part of the hospital. I know it's pretty vague, but what do you think? You know, I mean, it's, it's not an unusual situation. I mean, it happens because again, we're exposed to something. We weren't in this environment other than as trainees. And now we're there or, you know, we're starting to see that there's committees we may, we've been asked to join and we're getting involved and so forth. It's just a matter of a frank discussion. I, what I hear from a lot of people, a lot of physicians who are thinking about doing a part-time or full-time shift is they project how they think that those people around them are going to react to their thought process or to their, you know, desire to do that. And we always think, well, you know, our employer is going to look down on that because now they're going to have to replace me or part of my time and they don't want to lose me or, you know, and the th reality is most good leaders, managers want their employees to grow and to learn, whether it's in their clinical job, 
but even outside that. And they need leaders. I mean, every hospital and health system needs physician leaders, and sometimes it's hard to find them. So I would just, I would look at, I would have that conversation more as like a curiosity. Like I've noticed this, I've gone to these meetings, I'm really starting to get interested in this. How can you mentor me to learn more about this? Because I think I might want to do more of it. And most of those people will be fairly open. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that that goes for, you know, whether that be administrative roles or informatics or physician advisor roles. I think that's all inclusive in what you're saying is, hey, I have this outside interest, like, you know, what can we do? And again, I, th- I don't think a lot of the upper level leaders are approached by physicians. Um, when they're approached by physicians, a lot of times it's to complain or right. <laughs> to ask for more money or whatever it, it may be. Um, and I think in that regard, too, is if you're trying to negotiate one of these positions is sometimes there uh, your employers are much more willing to negotiate for time rather than money. Um, I know uh, for my medical directorship job, they offered me a stipend and I said, well, can I just work one less shift? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Mm-hmm. And that means more to me than the extra X amount of dollars per year. So um, that's kind of an important, important thing, too, is uh, buying out time. Uh, rather than getting more salary, especially when it comes to this to the hospital system, I don't know if you've seen that as well, but that's been my experience. No, in fact, you can run into a problem if you don't do that. Particularly if you have an employment situation, you're expected to work so many hours a week, let's say, in an office or something. You can end up doing, you know, one and a half full time jobs. You know, if you're not careful. But most uh, hospitals and health systems know that they've got to they've got to do that kind of a swap. And so because you, you, you don't want your docs to burn out. So if they're going to really give us meaningful 10 hours a week, a medical directorship or physician advisor, then we need to carve out 10 hours a week. And maybe the payment's the same, you know, it's just a wash. Um, the other thing, the other tricky thing I would do, uh, I mean, it's not underhanded, but is like if you are dealing with, let's say, a director of a department, like quality department or or a nursing director or something, if you can help solve their problem, they're, they're really not going to mind you working more on this particular issue or learning more about how to get into management because sometimes the only person that can really solve a management problem is a physician. Um, so it, you can become quite key and then they'll actually invite you in to do more. Exactly. And I think what you said before too is uh, don't project how you think they're going to react onto your employer because you have no idea, right? That's uh, no. that's all something within yourself rather than, um, you know, because the only, the worst thing they could say is no, right? <laughs> that's- yeah, right. Like, uh, I don't think that's going to happen because we don't, can't afford to replace you, blah, blah, blah. But so many times there's that flexibility that just, just asking, well, they'll be able to accommodate and there are ways they can backfill the clinical or maybe you know the volumes are going down anyway we don't need you to be full-time and we'd like you to do this other stuff or in, in enabling you to work a little less versus hiring a whole another person to do that job maybe cost benefit for them as well right. um the other big question i had was how do you get involved in utilization uh with very little clinical experience as a new graduate uh is it possible and how do you do it um you know, I want to just before you answer, I want to say that I've done it. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of them ask for five years of uh, clinical experience, but um, a lot of them are not hard and fast rules and some of them count residency. And uh, so it, it can be done. But uh, how would you answer that question, John? No, I think I would say the same thing. Um would you look on the job listings, try and find something where they're saying, you know, five years clinical experience preferred. 
Mm. There's the words preferred. That means if they get desperate, they'll take pretty much anybody that has at least the, the has a background where they can express, you know, understanding those concepts. Again, usually they give you like a four to six week training. You, a lot of the UM side, you're just implementing a standard uh, algorithm of what is approved or not approved, depending on the diagnoses and the documentation, things like that, depending ex exactly what you get into. So there's some there. Um, but yeah, look for that and see if you can find the ones that are, they're willing to at least get you on an interview. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when I was looking for part-time UM positions, I just emailed everybody, <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. a couple of them stuck. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situation. Reach out for both excellent and quality service at drpodcastnetwork.com slash MR Insurance. What a great show, as always, with Dr. John Jerica. I hope you learned as much as I did. If you enjoyed the show, please leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the show out there. Additionally, in the spirit of this show, could you follow me on LinkedIn at Andrew Tisser, DO, Physician Strategist? I'd love to see you there. And as always, if you're a physician early or mid-career who's dissatisfied with their current situation, go to andrewtisserdo.com and schedule a free time to chat with me, and I can tell you how to get started moving to the next step. That's all we have for today, guys. Keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.